A Thoughtful Faith Podcast is a production of Mormon Stories and the Open Stories Foundation. All donations to A Thoughtful Faith are tax-deductible and go directly towards keeping the podcast alive and towards building a community of support for Mormons like you. To support the podcast or to join the community, please become a monthly subscriber today at athoughtfulfaith.org. from that experience a uh, mentally emotionally and spiritually stronger person yes good around the same time though (laughs) (laughs) Uh uh-oh the plot thickens (laughs) um i that's about the time that mormon stories took off um and uh i listened to it i i found john to be very compelling very sincere uh, and uh, the best podcast I had ever listened to that answered all these questions I'd ever had growing up about the priesthood was the Margaret Young and Darius Gray podcast. And finally, everything clicked. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. Um, so all those lingering <laughs> sort of uh, hanging issues from your mission, yeah. you were able to sort of... Yeah, well, I was able to figure out why it happened. But, you know, part of that is that this infallible leadership, and we give lip service. Of course, they're not infallible. They're men. We we say that. Um, They're not perfect, but they're never wrong. But but you aren't supposed to go against what they say ever. (laughs) And here they were with the same prejudices they'd been built in. I mean, everybody back then knew that blacks were cursed. And so God didn't have to tell you they were cursed. It just, that's <laughs> what it was. And that's the way we're going to do things. And, and they could be that wrong and uh, cause that much heartbreak. It, it, it really kind of shook me. Well, what's the point of revelation if you can get things that wrong? And so this idea that you know, God's dictating everything that happens directly to the church and guiding it as the prophets are direct mouthpieces, that whole thing was shook up. And that was a a big change in paradigm. I mean, I've maintained my my faith in, in most of the other precepts of Mormonism. Uh, more or less. I, um, so a lot of the other things that people have trouble with, I, I've managed to make peace with. I know all about what the issues are at the Book of Abraham, Book of Mormon. Um, uh, but I've been able to, and, and, and it's been a help listening to people like Richard Bushman and, and Terrell Gibbons. They've really helped me learn how to build a mature faith. Um, and uh, uh, it's been good being able to learn to them, but it, it's very disorienting to be shook from that that kind of um, naive belief, I, I think. And, and 
in, into something that is a little more aware of how limited we are as people to really fully conceive everything of God, how, how much we are a product of our culture. And it's like Elder Holland said this last conference, he, all he's ever had to work with are imperfect people. That has to be so frustrating for him. And I, I love that um, because it's true. Uh, we're all products of our time. And there are things that I believe that will probably later be shown to not be true. There were people in the early church who, when they got the revelation of the three kingdoms, which is this wonderful thing that we're so excited about when we teach missionaries how this makes so much more sense than heaven and hell, and that if you have heaven and hell and you have grace, then why is God picking winners and destroying the others? What kind of monster is he? It makes so much more sense. But the church members who first heard that and knew the scriptures that said, well, there's eternal punishment, they were really shaken by that. And they, a lot of them couldn't handle that. And uh, I know there, and in, in what that teaches me is that I know God, I know God's love is real, but he's teaching me, and he's teaching all of us, I think all of his children, as, as much as he can uh, with the limits that we have being from our culture and our time. And all things are tentative. Um, the things that we think we know now, we have to be okay with someday them being upended and actually it's different. And I think that's a more mature way to, to look at faith and spirituality. And, it, and uh, it's, uh, I think eventually all of us are going to have to learn that's part of eternal progression. Um, but uh, a lot of us, you have to start somewhere and, and a lot of people are trapped in the literal kind of merry-go-round. Right. Yeah, I really like that too. Um, and you know, I can't remember where I sort of got this from, and it was something that Elder Holland kind of alluded to in, in that same talk where, you know, I sort of imagine where, you know, if God is trying to dispense knowledge and truth to us, and if, you know, for some reason the way he does it is through, you know, these messengers, these prophets, but, you know, like, like Elder Holland says, these are sort of imperfect vessels. And as he's trying to pour this knowledge, this truth into these imperfect vessels, a lot spills over in the process. And so even from the get-go, it's never going to be 100% accurate. It's never going to be 100% true. And it can always be improved upon. Um, and so, and actually for me, you know, my sort of faith transition or whatever you want to call it, the maturing of, of my own faith, kind of went through a similar process of just recognizing, hey, you know what? Sometimes these guys just get it wrong. And um, that's actually been really beneficial for me um, because like you said, other issues that um, 
and I don't say this to invalidate the the concerns that people have for for specific things, but it makes me a lot more tolerant and patient with other issue, other sticky issues from our history, and um, allows me to be a little bit more patient because you know before with the very black and white, you know, um, follow the prophet, prophet's always right mentality, it doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for error. And so it's no wonder that, um, you know, upon, the, upon realizing that there's errors that a lot of times that can, that can sort of shatter people. Um, so, so cool. So thanks for, for sharing that. Um, you know, what, um, when you talk about the maturing of your faith, is there, is there anything else related to that you wanted to share? Well, when you when you get uh, to that point, it is a little lonely um, because finding people who are in that same place is is not easy in the average ward. And and if they are in that same place, you'd never know going to church because it's not safe to talk that way. Sometimes. Everybody puts their game face on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so even if there are people, um, so you can feel isolated. And um, I, I have struggled some with that. Um, uh, and I guess that's what all these online support groups are all about. Um, uh have someone you can just talk to. Fortunately, I have an uh, incredible wife uh, that I talk to about these things, and she's she thinks I'm overly pessimistic and cynical a lot of the time, <laughs> but she understands where I'm coming from, and actually she does. I am overly pessimistic and cynical. It's how I'm made, so she pulls me back down to earth sometimes, so it's good having her around and having some, and she is someone I can talk to. So, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That, that's hugely valuable having a, yeah. having that, a companion again, that gets you. Not everyone has that. And, right. And I can't imagine how hard that would be, uh, to have to go through a realigning of your faith with your partner, not there. Um, uh, that's got to be terrible. It's got to be really tough. Yeah. Yeah, I am similarly fortunate myself yeah. with my wife. She's been uh, she's been really cool. It's it's nice to, you know, we weren't on the same page for a long time, but now you know we're we're right there with each other, and that makes such a huge difference. Huge mm -hmm. difference. So, um, cool. Well, um, you know, I think. Uh, I think that's a good place to kind of sort of uh, <laughs> wrap up part one. So okay. I think, um, you know, from you sharing your, your story and your experience, I think it's, you know, it's kind of cool to see the kind of flavor of Mormonism that you subscribe to. And so if I were to sort of, uh, you know, encapsulate it, it sounds like you're just somebody that is okay with a little bit of ambiguity when it comes to... Um, you know, things like truth claims and, you know, church policy and doctrine and things like that and a little bit of epistemic humility mm -hmm. <laughs> and awareness that, that we don't have it all figured out and there's more to learn, there's more to grow. Um, so, 
one of the things, uh, there's sort of two main things that, um, aside from kind of getting to know you and your story, that, uh, you know, we were sort of interested in sort of addressing and kind of um, playing with is, you know, as a, as a pediatric neurologist and somebody that understands the human brain and the chemistry, um, there are obviously can be some um, some areas of concern for um, you know spirituality, religious experiences, and things like that. And then also, as I'm sure we'll get into, you know, your experiences as a as somebody that treat that uh, treats and heals sick kids. You know, your exposure to a lot of you know human suffering and um, loss of life and, you know, tragic circumstances, that can also be, um, you know, an area of concern for people and something that people struggle with. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and, and be really super transparent here. These two specific issues sort of cut to the heart of my own doubts and my own concerns. You know, for me, even from a very young age, I still remember being um, probably 12, 13 years old and uh, sitting in church and sitting through a testimony meeting and just watching people have spiritual experiences and actually thinking to myself, I wonder if it's all in their head, you know? And then, um, and then sort of the whole problem of evil, the, the level, the disproportionate amount of suffering in the world, um, and that can be acutely experienced by, by seeing the suffering of of innocent small children so so I know that all sounds pretty deep and heavy mm -hmm. <laughs> and and it probably will be as we as we talk yeah. about this stuff but um, I want I want our listeners to hang in there because we're committed to sort of having a having a good good uh, high outlook at the end here so um, but uh, so yeah let's kind of so are you cool kind of moving into that stuff absolutely okay Where'd you cool. start bringing so so um, so yeah, so I'm just, I, this may sound just like rambling to me, and I don't want to create a bunch of compound uh, questions for you, but sort of the, the different things that I'm kind of thinking of are, um, you know, first of all, um, you know, we, we even learn in, the, in Galatians 5 that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, you know, those things, these sort of emotional good feelings, mm -hmm. and... Um, what we learn in the church is very, very supportive of that sort of um, epistemic program. And, uh, you know, I know for myself and for many people, it becomes really hard to sort of distinguish, you know, what is uh, personal revelation, what is um, spiritual experiences, and, and how does that interact with brain chemistry? Does one cause the other? Um, and obviously you can feel those emotions separately from spiritual things. And so, you know, is it something that's just created in our heads? Um, does it come from an external source? Those are some things that, um, that I know where, where sort of science and religion can kind of, can kind of clash when it comes mm -hmm. to, um, the study of the human brain. So uh, that's a really broad <laughs> sort no, of no. intro to that. So what are your, what are your thoughts you're, about that? You're right. I, when, when you study the brain as a scientist, um, you want, and it's natural to study it as a machine. And uh, 
as a machine, it works this way. And if you see one part of the brain light up on a scanner, that's this chemical reaction. And these neurons are networking with those neurons. And it's very easy to lose the person in all that. I mean, uh, it, it, in a way, it's dehumanizing. And yet it's fascinating. Uh, the way the brain works is incredible. I mean, the way the human body works is incredible. From down to the cell, that's this factory of microscopic things that shuttle back and forth these genes that get turned on and off that are actually turned on and off by exposures and experiences that form you into what you are in the brain even more so. Um, uh, and, and there is a part of the brain that they've actually isolated that lights up when you're having spiritual experiences on a scanner. And it's tempting for too many people, and I think this is kind of simple-minded, to say, okay, well then it must just be brain chemistry because this part of the brain is lighting up on the scanner. But the funny thing about that is you can be eating an apple and the part of the brain that's giving you the taste, it lights up on part of the scanner. Does that mean there's no apple? Um, so just because we can isolate where those feelings are in the brain doesn't mean you're not sensing something that's real. I, um, now, that doesn't prove that it's real, and that's the thing, is that you can go one way or the other. It, it really depends. Um, it's interesting, though. Uh, you know, there is a type of epilepsy that involves that exact part of the brain where you get these transcendent spiritual experiences. That there are people who claim that Joan of Arc must have had that type of epilepsy. I've seen it claimed that Joseph Smith had it. I, I don't buy that, but um, uh, but uh, one of the people who did uh, is uh, um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian author. Uh, he was Russian Orthodox, and he was a deep thinker, and uh, he's wonderful to read. Uh, but he also had epilepsy, and he described those seizures. I actually have a quote where he described these seizures and he said, you know, for several instants, I experience a happiness that is impossible in an ordinary state and of which people have no conception. I feel full harmony in myself and in the whole world. And the feeling is so strong and sweet that for a few seconds of such bliss, one could give up 10 years of life, perhaps all of life. I felt that heaven descended to earth and swallowed me. I really attained God and was imbued with him. All of you healthy people don't even suspect what happiness is. That happiness is what we epileptics experience for a second before an attack. Now, uh, wow, that is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, he knew that those were coming from a seizure, but that didn't stop how real they were and how important they were to him. So something that you even have an argument that maybe this is just a reaction. He felt something transcendent about it. Now, he had a, it's an exceedingly rare type of epilepsy. I, I take care of epileptic kids all the time, and they really don't generally have God seizures. 
but um, there have been cases of people like that who had were just terribly disabled by the epilepsy that could have been cured by surgery but did not want to lose it and have refused and uh, it, it's an interesting case um, and when we mechanize the brain too much and we look at everything as being chemical and, and people being a machine and, and us being a product of these genes that are just trying to reproduce and uh, these brain connections just trying to keep us survive and, and evolve. What we lose um, is is profound. We, we lose our humanity and there, there is a philosophic argument of how how much can we really understand um, about ourselves? How much can we really step outside of ourselves? And what happens when we step out of our side of ourselves to fully examine what we are? Uh, is it even possible to really know what makes us and what drives us? And I guess that's kind of my whole comfort with mystery kind of thing. Um, but you do lose something profound when you try reduce the brain to its reactions. Um, so it's more than just the sum of its parts. It, it is. I, I think it really is. And and there's a there's a mechanistic way that I see that. Um, there is a whole primitive part of your brain that's hardwired. It's been built by evolution to make you survive. It, makes you look for food, it has sex drive, it has all that. Uh, movement is is hardwired and I understand those circuits very well from learning about them. But humans have built up this whole extra part, this extra cortex up and above that um, that uh, is why we're able to step outside of ourselves and think about things and take them apart uh, and associate everything together and it's not perfect our senses aren't perfect they fool us um, you can build circuits that convince you you're worthless and uh, keep you from feeling happiness in the case of depression and it's all a big lie but the amazing thing about this part of the brain is it has something called plasticity where you're able to rewire um, what parts are connected with other parts. It's not fixed. What you become uh, is part memories, experiences, and, and those are all recorded in this upper part of the brain, this higher cortex. But through effort, like I experienced with the therapy, you can build a new way through a lot of effort to look at life and become something completely different. Uh, the mind is driving the brain when that happens. And I think that plasticity where we can rewire the brain is where agency really comes in. Um, so uh, that's kind of how I see the brain making us more than a machine. And that's kind of how I, I don't necessarily 
by the argument that this joy, peace, and love is just a reaction. No, no, it's part of who we are. And in the end, I, I'm kind of with Theodore Dostoevsky. Uh, even if it's all a big chemical reaction, well, then I'm just doing what I was built to do. Religion and spirituality are part of us. And what does that say about the people who turn away from it because they're like, oh, it's a big lie. I'm smarter than that. I'm bigger than that. They're denying their own humanity. Um, and uh, that makes me sad. <laughs> I, I don't think you have to do that. Um, I, I, I think there's something a, a little bit unhealthy about that. Um, uh, now, the other extreme can be a problem as well, where you know you you abhor logic, you abhor science, you don't believe anything that people teach you about the well about evolution or where some of these things come from, how they're part of our survival, how they were built, how maybe sometimes they're an accident, or at least they're formed by our environment. Um, so there, there's a, a fault there too. You kind of have to find a middle ground. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that the brain's a machine. And it's real tempting when you spend your life studying it to do that. I, there are so many brain surgeons that really um, start to see everything as machine and, and it, you can get cynical. Hmm. Might be part of the reason doctors have a high suicide rate, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what would you um, say to somebody who um, may feel differently about religion and spirituality? You know, somebody who might feel harmed by religion or who might feel that you know there's it's sort of a cliche to say religion is one of those things that can make good people do bad things and mm -hmm. is there something better than religion that um, you know isn't based on truth claims and God and sort of eternal consequences and things like that mm -hmm. um, you know is that is that really what humanity is limited to in terms of you know sort of going outside of ourselves mm -hmm. when we go outside of ourselves is that only accessible or meaningful if it's in the context of God and religion there are issues um, with truth claims and where those truth claims cause the problem is pride where it plays on this part of you that thinks because you have the truth, you're better than everyone else. Uh, that's where religion has failed over and over and over again. That is the thing that Christ was attacking every time he came out against the Pharisees and spent, and he's harsh. I mean, it got him killed. <laughs> that, and no one's in more danger of that than someone who feels they have the truth. Um, so I agree that that's a real danger. Well, I guess the, the reason I ask that is actually um, 
sort of the efficacy of religion is something I've seen discussed on Facebook a lot lately. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and I think, well, it, it, I think the reason I, the reason I wanted to sort of push back there is because I think a lot of people, if they heard you say, um, you know, to deny religion and spirituality is to deny your humanity, I know a lot of people would, would disagree with that. Not saying that, that, that I sure. necessarily disagree sure. with that, but, um, I just wonder if, and I probably wouldn't, uh, I probably am not doing a good enough job of, uh, of sort of rephrasing the counter-argument no, no, there. No, people, look, I know that uh, religion gets misused, and uh, there are problems with uh, a narrow view. Uh, we always want to define people as us and them, and uh, that's just built into us. That's just part of us. And uh, because of that, uh, there's a lot of pain. There have been wars. There's been murder. There's been bloodshed. And uh, it's not pretty. Um, but, and, and I do think you have to speak up against that, um, the, the things that lead to that. But, you know, when I read the New Testament, I see that Christ did that there is a deeper level of understanding we can reach that I, I don't think you have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, that's, that's my faith. Uh, I think absolutely you, faith is a choice. And if you can't find it within yourself to have that faith, that doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, that's not what I'm saying with this. But I am saying, evolutionarily, even going completely from the side of the atheists, we have that section in our temporal lobe for some reason. And uh, if I'm acting on that, uh, I'm doing what I was built to do. Um, and. Uh, I don't know that you can criticize people for that, uh, or and I don't I don't know that I, I just think you can work with spirituality and religion in a healthy way and an unhealthy way, and you've got to fight to get it to the healthy way, and it's not all external. It, it's um, something you can reach internally. It's something you can help others to reach. Um, you know, in Mormon parlance, I'd, I'd say there's a telestial understanding of God, which is the excessively literal, the prone to pride, the one that causes conflict and hatred. But there's a higher one uh, and a middle one. <laughs> A right. celestial, and the celestial is going to be where you start to realize that, you know, we're all children of God. His love's bigger than we ever imagined, and it probably doesn't even ma matter whether you believe or not. Um, we still are what we are, and there's a higher part of ourselves, and we can find that maybe even outside. I, I don't know. Cool. Yeah, I like I like um, 
I, I really appreciate what you're saying. And um, I like that you bring up sort of, you know, there's, there's a part of our biology that yearns for meaning, that yearns for transcendency, but there's also a part of our biology mm -hmm. that yearns for tribalism and certainty. And when those things uh, intersect is, is when you can sort That's of That's when problems. you get trouble. Yeah. That's, that is absolutely when you get trouble. And uh, Christ warned us about that. Yeah. In, in no uncertain terms. Uh, I always bring that up in church. I'm like, you know, no one's in more danger of becoming Pharisees than the true church. I mean, <laughs> we have to be really careful. Right, and there's definitely... And, and we, we, we really shouldn't be bagging on these other religions. It's just right. Christ would get on you for that. I know he would. I read it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we don't get, we don't just get those messages from Christ. You know, there's definitely messages from Joseph Smith and even from, from Brigham Young that uh, that sort of echo that. Um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I, you know, personally, if I, you know, step out of the role of the interviewer for a minute and sort of share my own opinion, for for what it's worth, you know, I think, um, just like I think, for me, I don't see religion as something that's inherently dangerous as long as it's accepted for what it is. You know, we've already sort of talked about that. You know, imperfect vessels working with imperfect people yeah. to fulfill imperfect ideas. I think where religion and any ideology becomes dangerous is when it becomes dogmatic, when mm -hmm. it becomes exclusive, when it becomes, you know, even, you know, when it becomes too institutionalized and when it becomes too literal. And you can have that with religion, you can have that with things like nationalism, Absolutely. you can have that with uh, you know, uh, political ideologies, we see that in American politics. And so, so I think dogma is the real thing <laughs> we exactly. gotta look out for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, dogma is dangerous and, and it's human nature. Um, and yeah, there's a dangerous part of human nature, absolutely. Um, and it takes work. It's, it's that natural man, right? Absolutely. It's that natural man, and it takes rewiring. It takes that frontal cortex to kind of rebuild your whole way of looking at life, to learn and to grow. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, where I've sort of been introduced, the, the concept of the plasticity of the brain is like um, people that sustain really bad head trauma, um, like Gabby Giffords, for example, you know, parts of your brain that perform certain motor skills and things like that. And uh, uh, language and speech, um, when those parts become damaged, it's interesting how different part, your brain will basically re rewire itself so that other parts of the brain will start performing those over. functions. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really cool. Uh, kids are the best at that. Um, the young, uh, you can have a stroke as an infant and do some amazing things. They found accidentally on scans uh, people in college who one half of their brain was missing. <laughs> really? Really. That's crazy. Um, so when you're, it's good to be young. Yeah. Because your brain's the most plastic then. Right, right. Um, but yeah, uh, the brain can build itself. So do you have, um, so do you have sort of a theory about, you know, the sort of delineation between, you know, your spirit, your consciousness, your brain, where do, where do those things intersect? And before you answer that, I want to kind of share the theory that I've heard um, where 
you know, the brain is like a television. And, you know, the television just sits there. You can turn it on and you'll get static unless it receives a signal, right? Unless it's channeling something. And so, you know, our souls, our spirit, our mind, whatever you want to call it, it's it, the brain is basically the interface where our souls and our spirit are able to interact with our bodies. That's where it all happens is inside the brain. And so I don't know if that's an oversimplification of it, but I was just mm -hmm. curious if you have any particular theories about hmm. about that, how that works. And if you want, you, you don't have to speculate. But. Well, so much of what we are is our experience and our memories, and those are built uh, over time. And uh, in cases like dementia, you see people literally just lose themselves. Um, and that is all a network that you've built uh, through your life experience that makes you largely what you are. Um, how that would carry over uh, as a spirit, I don't know. I mean, the dualism, it, there's a lot of challenging of dualism and how it all comes from, was it Dante? There is a lot of, of what we know about neuroscience in the brain that, you know, makes maybe the idea of a spirit seem a little superfluous. Uh, in, in anything I would say, be pure speculation. I, I did speculate once on my blog that, you know, they're finer matter um, uh, that our spirit's supposed to be made out of. It's probably right there making the same connections. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And it's those connections that move on, your experiences, um, because they're what make you what you are. So kind of going along with Like the there's a spiritual brain that's making right. the exact that's same memory and, that's cool. and connection. I, that, that, some people would laugh at that, but I think it's cool to speculate. I think it's cool to speculate about that stuff, because I, yeah. I kind of like that. I do. That's cool. Okay. So how do you... Um, you know, how do you distinguish um, sort of spirituality from just kind of, like, how do you discern things that you identify as revelation from stuff that just comes from you? Or do you, do you care to make that distinction? Or kind of how do you approach that? Uh, well, when something clicks... Uh, when you get this sudden burst of insight, uh, I see that as revelation, and uh, others might not, but it, I, there's something kind of transcendent about having a sudden insight and knowing that it works, uh, and, and that it it's true. And, and I think uh, Richard Bushman put it in a way, it tastes good. Uh, it's something you can grasp onto. Revelation is messy. Um, it's not perfect. Uh, maybe sometimes we're led to a certain step that isn't quite true because it's we're imperfect vessels, and uh, God wants us there before He can take us to the next step later. Um, but uh, 
the the flow of intelligence is a big one that I've noticed a lot when I read the scriptures. Um, but there's also that feeling like what Dostoevsky described, just this transcendence, this this wonder uh, that um, I don't think leads you to the wrong place very often. Uh, I don't see it leading you to the wrong place. I, again, it's not perfect. You don't get dogmatic about whatever your revelation is. You don't get into arguments and fights and hold on to it when everything in the face says maybe wrong. You, you re-examine. Uh, and, and it's imperfect, but I think God's nudging us with those kind of feelings towards something better. And uh, that's that's where I put my faith anyway. Okay, cool. Awesome. So basically, from what I gather, you know, there is often sort of this uh, chicken or the egg sort of, uh, I don't know if you call it a paradox or just enigma about um, consciousness and personality. You know, obviously, certain aspects of our personality um, we inherit through our genetics. Um, obviously, those things are also influenced by our environment, um, things like that. And so, um, there's there's sort of this question of you know who we are, our personas, our character. Is that a result of sort of the cocktail of genetics and brain chemistry, or is our or are our personalities, I mean, what, where is the, the interaction with those things, sort of mm -hmm. those two concepts? Because we have this concept as Mormons of being these eternal beings that have mm -hmm. always existed with God, where these intelligences clothed in the spirit that is now mm -hmm. closed in this, living in this tabernacle of flesh. Mm -hmm. And so how do you see those things sort of all mixing together? <laughs> well... We came here, from a Mormon perspective, to get a body. And that body is a huge part of what we are. And uh, there's no doubt that much of your personality, if you're introverted, it's because you're very easily overstimulated. If you're extroverted, it's because you need extra stimulation. Um, those things are, are born in you, and, and they are part of your chemistry. And uh, they, they shape you. Um, but um, the and when you look at things that can happen, like say you get an infection of the brain, and all of a sudden you are detached from reality. I. It's hard to know exactly that where is the spirit at that point. I mean, something's gone wrong physically with this physical structure that you've lost uh, what you were, uh, hopefully temporarily, um, and people do come back. Um, so, so clearly that we are physical beings um, when we're here, and it, it's a huge part of what we are. But it's why we came here. <laughs> so we take, um, we were given the, this body 
And this is where my, that whole view of, of the plasticity and, and the building the frontal lobe, we take what we're given and we build it and make it into something better um, uh, through our experience. And uh, hopefully something better. <laughs> I guess not always, but uh, the idea is, is to be progressing and moving forward. Um, how much our spirit forms what we are, I, I, I don't know. I don't pretend to have that answer. Um, uh, but, um, and, and maybe that is an occupational hazard, I don't know. I, it's not as easy for me to, to just look at something not being born from experience and making a certain connection, I don't know. Right. Um, okay. Uh, not to say it's impossible, it's just impossible to measure. And you know, when something's impossible to measure, you are taught to be questioning as a scientist about that. So uh, I only know what I've seen evidence for. Uh, I, I have seen the evidence I see for my faith is, is those fruits of the Spirit, and I, I think that there's something communicating with our core being uh, when we feel that. Um, and, and I do tend to believe that because we're, I think we'll carry those memories with us somehow that make us what we are, that that chemistry will become what we are. I don't know what we were before we were born, but it certainly, we're becoming something uh, because of our physical body, and God's embodied in Mormonism. It's it's hugely important part of what we are. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing the grace. Thank you for joining us today on A Thoughtful Faith. To discuss this podcast, check us out at athoughtfulfaith.org. The music from this podcast was generously donated by Lisa Frazier. Hear more from her at lisafrazier.com. Mine, mine.